So let's get right into the Word today. Um, I, I want to apologize to the prayer partners today. You're doing such a great job. We're so excited about what you're doing. But uh, I forgot yesterday about today's fellowship. So uh, I'm not going to be calling you up today to pray at the end of the service, in the first service. So uh, next, next Sunday, be ready next Sunday, and, and we'll, we'll utilize you next Sunday. But today, uh, in order to have time for the fellowship and get ready for the next service, it's just, uh, I, I think we'll just uh, we'll say a prayer from here. All right. Um, today's Palm Sunday. What a beautiful uh, day and a beautiful picture of, of God's plan for our lives. Uh, I'm going to preach today on when God became king. That's what I'm going to call this message. Keep in mind today that Jesus is just as much God as the Heavenly Father, so perhaps a clearer title would have been when Jesus became king. But I wanted to give tribute to Dr. N.T. Wright, who's written a book with this title. But more than anything else, more than Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem represents for us that Jesus solidifies his identity as our king. And today I want to tell you why that matters and how, can we begin, how we can start to live in the beauty of that reality that Jesus is king. Um, here's a quote from... Uh, Dr. Wright's book, the message of the gospel is not simply that Jesus died for our sins so that we can go to heaven when we die. It is that Jesus is the true king of the world who has defeated the powers of evil and inaugurated God's kingdom on earth. The church is called to be a sign, foretaste, and instrument of God's kingdom on the earth. Now, this is why the scripture says uh, you, may, you may think, well, I, I don't see the evidence of the kingdom of God. But the scripture says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That would not be possible if the kingdom of God was not established on the earth. Because there are two kings on the earth. One is God and one is Satan. There are two kings. So the fact that you are not sub sub subject, unless you will to be, unless you submit to Satan... You're not subject to his authority because of the authority of Christ and because Christ's kingdom has been established on the earth. Christ the king. Let me just give you a beautiful poem written by my senior, Alisa Saroche. It goes like this. Christ the king of glory comes and robes with brightness died. Crowns and thrones before him fall. All things to his scepter bow. Raise your voice, O earth, and sing. Praise to our victorious king. Let the heavens joyfully ring. Christ the king, Christ the king. Love and peace his reign shall bring. Joy to every heart and home. Christ the king, the Lord of all. Gives his people strength and hope. Raise your voice, O earth, and sing. Praise to our victorious king. Let the heavens joyful ring. Christ the king, Christ the king. So when, when Jesus rode that donkey, we're going to read the passage of scripture in just a second. When Jesus rode that beast of burden into Jerusalem, the people proclaimed that he was king. And they got it right. And I want to tell you why that was so important. And why that was so important for them. And why I believe it's something that 21st century believers and 20th century Christians here in the West in particular have missed the rulership of Christ. We've missed the kingship of Christ for another side of Christ that's also true, but not what the Jewish people of that day primarily understood. 
And we need to understand that what happened on Palm Sunday, and they do believe it happened on Sunday, by the way, it began the week of Christ's passion that would end with him going to the cross on Friday and being resurrected on Sunday. It's, it's, it's more than interesting that the first thing that happened, it was established that he was the king. Let's read the scripture. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. As they appointed, as they approached, I should say, Jerusalem and came in Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to set on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus arrived, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. So the first thing I want to talk to you about today is that Jesus is the king of a new kingdom. The Bible tells us later in the week when Jesus stood before Pilate, it said Jesus answered Pilate when Pilate asked him if he was a king. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my subjects would have fought, would have fought that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom is not here. Pilate said to him, you are king then. Jesus replied, it is you who call me a king. I was born. I want you to underline this in your mind. And I want you to, I hope this can sink deep into your spirit, these words that Jesus said here, because I think they're incredibly significant. Jesus said, I was born to be a king. And I came into the world for this purpose. I want you to let that sink in. Jesus came into the world for this purpose to be a king and to be our king. See your, and, and then we go back to Matthew 21 that we just read, and you see this verse standing out to you. See your king who comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt. Uh, now, we might get tripped up by the idea of a king because when you think of a king, you think of, you think of, of, of someone who rules by force. But here we see him riding on a donkey. We see him described as, um, as a gentle king riding on a donkey. It, it's, it's, um, it, it's, it's a real trick to be authoritative and to be gentle at the same time. It's a real trick to be, to be tough. And any of you, and most of you have been in, some, in your life, you've been in some position where you were uh, in authority. If you're a school teacher, you know what it is to try to control a classroom. Uh, if, if you're a pastor like myself, you know what it is to try to run a church. If you, most of you have been in supervisory roles somewhere in your life. 
And you, so you know how difficult it is to move people into where they need to be and where they need to be to make the organization or the class or the team be what it needs to be and be authoritative, commanding, but at the same time, be gentle and be soft and be kind. I don't think any of us get it quite right. I don't think most of us find that balance between being soft and being tough, being authoritative and being meek. I don't think most of us ever quite find that balance. But one king did, one authority did, and his name was Jesus. Jesus is the one who wants to live in your heart, by the way, and he wants to be king of your life. That's what this sermon's really about today. He wants to be king of your life, and you need to understand that he is commanding, he does expect obedience, but you've never had an authority in your life that more feels your pain, cares about your hurt, and is in tune with your emotions, and loves you like this king does. So this, this image is incredible. And in fact, you know, uh, the re one of the reasons this image is so amazing and so dynamic is because, and I didn't even, I didn't even remember this till I was researching this week. I didn't remember that Solomon rode into Jerusalem on a mule. King Solomon. So you know what every Jewish person was thinking because the the the, the prophecies had been that the line of David, would, there would be someone from the line of David who would rule forever. And they knew for sure that King Herod wasn't one of the good guys. They knew that King Herod, who was ruling in Jerusalem, wasn't. First, he wasn't in the line of David, and that meant everything to them. And, and so it, it's, it's an incredible thing that this, that, that this happened. So let's talk today about a little bit about Jewish culture, monarchy, and uh, how they long for a king. See, here's what, uh, here's what I think we kind of missed in the 21st century, studying the Bible and the 20th century, is that Christ as king was the primary emphasis of the Gospels. When, when we talk about the Gospel, we generally talk about what Jesus achieved by his saving death. And we call this the atonement. Uh, how that achievement uh, uh, can be appropriated by the individual. And we call this justification by faith. So we call this the atonement, justification by faith, and that justification is assumed to be the heart of the gospel. And I do believe it is the heart of the gospel. So I'm, don't, don't worry, I'm not going to take that away from you. <laughs> I'm not going to take that away from you that Jesus died for your sins, that you're atoned, that you're justified by faith. I'm not going to take that away from you. But Mark, Luke, and Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, they had almost nothing to say about that subject. Now, we know how critical it is to appreciate the fact that our sins were paid for by the blood of Jesus, and we certainly will focus on that later this week, by the way. But it's not coincidental that it wasn't the first thing that Jesus wanted clarified. Jesus came preaching the gospel of the what? The kingdom. Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Furthermore, when we move beyond the four gospels and the full resurrection of Christ, the atoning sacrifice, the, the apostles did not 
although they, they taught the atoning sacrifice of Jesus very clearly and they expanded on what it meant and the full revelation of grace cannot be understood apart from the epistles. The full revelation of grace cannot be, uh, cannot be understood from that. They did not drop the idea that Jesus was authoritative. Can we use the word Lord? Can we, the, the word Lord, it means the same thing. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord or Jesus is King and believe in our hearts that God and raise them from the dead, we will be saved. I'm going to get back to that in a moment. The word Christ um, is the Greek word Christos. And it means anointed one. It is the equivalent of the word Messiah. Meshiach, as I believe is the Hebrew word for Messiah. I probably don't pronounce it right. Um, but that, that's, just, that's the only time I'm going to try today. <laughs> but, but, but they all knew that the act of anointing was what they did when they, when they anointed kings. Saul, David, Solomon, Hezekiah, on and on we could go. The high priest would anoint the king. So when, 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 when they referred, Christ was not his name. That was his title. That's who he was. And, and during the reign of Israel's monarchs, see, they were, they were a, monar- a monarchy. We started hearing the phrase anointed one regularly. D- D- David, King David, when he, was not, uh, when he had been anointed king, but he was, not, he was not the appointed king yet, and he was running from Saul, he preferred to die rather than touch the anointed king. When he had the opportunity to kill Saul, who, for those of you who haven't studied the Bible, I, I guess I need to fill that in. Saul was trying to kill him. Saul was the king, and he'd, he was threatened by David, so he's trying to kill him. And David had an opportunity one day to, to, to kill him because he was in a cave, and his men were saying, go kill him, go kill him. And David said, I will not touch God's anointed. That is the Jewish view of the person who would have been anointed king. I fear today that we've blocked out that authoritative king, Jesus, that was brought forward by the epistles and and taught in the scripture. I just want to throw a few verses out there to prove my point. That that the, 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 the writers of the epistles who who gave us the full revelation of grace saw Jesus as our authority. Uh, see, the contemporary view of Jesus is that he's only authoritative over sin, sickness, and demons. But not me. <laughs> I can do whatever I want because I'm, I'm saved by grace. But that view is not biblical. It's popular, but it's not biblical. Jesus and the early apostles also saw Jesus as a ruler who would order our lives. Who would attempt to Jesus? I don't, you know, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus tries to run my life. I, I don't let him sometimes, and, and when I don't, that's called sin. <laughs> but he, he, he's very bossy. He, 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 he's, he often does not even care about my feelings. When, when people, I know, I know you, you don't believe that anyone would ever be unkind to me because I'm so magnanimous and wonderful. But uh, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've been treated pretty badly a few times <laughs> in my life. And I want to get better and I want to get back. And God, Jesus doesn't even care that I'm offended. He says, you forgive. 
when you stand pray forgive and if you don't forgive i won't forgive you now that, that's a pretty that, that's a pretty bossy guy who says if you don't forgive them i ain't forgiving you oh, but but jesus is just so loving and so kind he would never be he would never be harsh like that oh yes oh yes you you, you read about the him cleansing the temple he used a whip far as we know, he hit people with it. I know that that doesn't fit with your idea of the, the gentle Nazarene. <laughs> okay, I won't, I won't go too far with that, that, that picture of Jesus. Because I, I, I don't think he's going around whipping people to death, okay? Let me give you those verses that I promised you a second ago. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Called to be an apostle. Set apart. I didn't choose to be an apostle. Jesus told me to be an apostle. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. You can't get much lower on the, on the authority pole than being a prisoner. I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Then... Uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the command of our God, our Savior, and Christ, our hope, he commanded me to be an apostle. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. He's transferred us to the kingdom. The, the, those Jewish people, they understood. They understood that a kingdom had a king. And my favorite, my favorite verse that, that shows that Jesus is, wants to be authoritative, and he is authoritative, was when Paul first met Jesus. The first time he met Jesus, is on, he was traveling the road to Damascus, and he's persecuting Christians and doing horrible stuff. It says, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute, persecute me? And I want you to notice what he said. He did, wasn't sure who it was, but he was sure of how powerful he was sure of the significance of who was talking to him. He was sure that he met the boss. He wasn't sure of the boss's name, but he says, his ne the next line he says, Who are you, Lord? That's like saying, Who are you, boss? Because he knew he had met an authority. He knew he had met a ruler. He knew, he had, he knew it was time to surrender. The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It changed his life. It changed his whole life when he realized that he was persecuting Jesus. Now let's talk about the nature of this new kingdom. Let's revisit Matthew 21, where it says, The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the Son of God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest of heavens. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. Now, the first thing I want to point out to you is this kingdom was characterized uh, as a community. It was, it was, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's difficult for us to grasp lordship and biblical community in a society that is individualistic and self-oriented as ours is as opposed to what they lived in they lived in a what we would call a collectivist society 
a community-oriented society. They did not live in an individualistic society as we do in America. And most of the world does not. And so that's one reason we have westernized the gospel. So it's, it's me and Jesus. There was a hit country song, and you know how I like hit country songs, years ago that said, me and Jesus got our own thing going. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. We don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. Well, that's a very American, Western view of walking with Jesus. A Jewish person would be horrified by that song. They'd be horrified. No, we are related. We do things together. We do things as a community. We do things as friend groups and family groups. And, and you know, a good example of this is... Uh, Don Butera, who, who spoke to our youth, youth a few weeks ago here, told me uh, that when he baptizes people in Singapore, or, or, or Indonesia, sorry, when he baptizes people in Indonesia, he can never baptize one person. The whole family comes out and into the water. And a bunch of their friends come out in the water. He has to baptize all of them, whether they confess Christ or not. Because no one would think of being baptized apart from their family and apart from their loved ones. This has been a huge problem. One of the reasons we have not been successful in evangelizing Japan is because a Japanese person, when you say, would you like to receive Jesus as your personal Savior? See, that, even that kind of language doesn't, doesn't work for people that live in a communitary and collectivist culture. When, when you ask a Japanese person... Uh, this, I don't know if that always happens, but often when a missionary would ask a Japanese person, do you want to be saved, receive Jesus as your personal Savior? They would say, what about my ancestors? Uh, we're going to leave my ancestors to go to hell? We can't do that. We've got to find a way to s- save everybody. So this, this, this was, I'm not saying that's correct, but this is the kind of culture that, that Jesus walked into, and this is the kind of culture that embraced him. And Jesus never intended the Christian life to be individualistic. He expected us to be together. Uh, Tim Keller says the Christian life is not a solo flight. It's a community project. Ruth Haley Barton said, we need the presence of others who are also following Christ to become who we're meant to be. Max Licato says, when we listen to each other's stories, we learn about each other's lives. When we share each other's burdens, we lighten each other's loads. See, the kingdom of self is a very, very sad, tiny, and lonely kingdom, consisting of me, myself, and I. Even the people who live in the house with you can't partner in the activities of that kingdom. The bonus of bowing to the king is you are welcome into a little crowd of people who sing his praise, submit to his ethical values, and stand ready to partner with you in creating an expression of God's kingdom in the earth. That's what we're doing here at Bethany Community Church. We're we're establishing an outpost of the kingdom of God, and we can only do that when we do it together. See, there's there's nothing inherently wrong with self-interest. That certainly existed in own Palm Sunday and existed in the Bible, Uh, but that crowd at the edge of the city that followed Jesus on his transportation of a donkey that day and his subsequent crucifixion made it clear that this kingdom of God under King Jesus, under King Jesus, although it was motivated by self-interest, they were not going alone. 
They were going to lay down their lives for one another. They were the congregation on the edge of town opposed to the crowd that was in the city. I think that's a very, that's a very interesting point to me. You know, you see the, in the text that we read, the crowd in the city met the crowd that was following Jesus. So there were two crowds. There were two congregations that day represented. There was the congregation that was, that was singing praises to Jesus and putting palm branches in front of him. And there was the congregation that was coming out of the city. And they, were, they, they converged that day in one another. You know the word, you know the word city? It, uh, is the Greek word polis. And it's where we get our word politics. So, so the people who were concerned about human politics met the people who were concerned about kingdom politics. And guess what? Jesus is the king of kingdom politics, not the politics of earth. Nothing wrong the politics of earth aren't sinful. Nothing wrong with being involved in earthly politics. But I'm glad that I have discovered the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I've discovered a kingdom that's above the kingdom of politics. I've, I've discovered the city of God, the polis of God that rules, that will rule and does rule in, in, in spirit over the polis of humankind. The kingdom of God was characterized as following the leadership of an ultimately conquering king. It's, it's, see, it's hard to conceive of lordship in a culture where the ideal is democracy. And uh, I, I'm not bashing democracy. I, I do believe Western civilization has discovered the very best form of human government. But that doesn't change the fact that the kingdom of God is not a democracy. You, you, you can't have a, a, a ruling king. You can have a, you can have a perfunctory king, a, 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 a placeholder king, as, such as they have in England. You can have that. But you can't have a real king and have a democracy. A, a, a king has complete authority. Uh, a, a king may have had advisors around him, but, the, but, but a king did not have to go consult with his cabinet, or he did not have to, uh, uh, he did not have to um, subject his rulings to a, a Senate or a House of Representatives or a judicial branch. The, 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 a, a, king, a king had authority to make any decision he wanted to make. Uh, you know, a king was also a judge. And, and the people understood that. When, when, when the Jewish people said he's king, they saw him as a, a judge. A, 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 you went before the king. He could, he could try you and convict you of a crime. If the king said, off with your head, then your head was off. Well, Jesus is not going to say off with your head, so relax. But, but he doesn't rule in a democracy. He, he has ultimate authority in our lives, ultimate authority in the earth. 
And, and that's what you want. There's nothing. You know what the perfect form of government would be? Perfect. A benevolent dictator. A benevolent dictator would be perfect. There are none, of course, in the earth. So Jesus is the only one that is a benevolent dictator. This kingdom was characterized as servant king over his submissive subjects. It's hard to conceive of lordship in a culture where we believe so strongly in equal authority. Egalitarianism, they call it. Equal authority. Egalitarianism. Equal authority is, is woven into the fabric of, of Americans and Western civilization. You know, today, today we even use the phrase, I'm talking about a king who did not come to an egalitarian or a, 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 a culture that was... The, the Jewish people did not live in a culture that practiced equal authority. They, they believe in hierarchical structures. That was, the kind of, that, was the, that was the way the society was put together for them. So, so they were very comfortable. Their, their thing was, we just want the right king. I just, want the, I just want the right person in authority over my life. And they got the right person in the Lord. Notice, notice what they did. They, they took their coats off and they threw their coats down on the road for Jesus to ride his animal over them. Now that shows you how, that, that was an act of submission. You, you, you probably heard the phrase, someone would give you the, the shirt off their back. Well, that, they were saying, Jesus we know, we, know that's, we know that's a metaphor. We don't, we, don't, we don't expect someone to literally give us a shirt off their back. I suppose, I suppose if you had no shirt and they gave you their shirt, that could happen, right? But that's not typically what we mean. We mean that that person doesn't regard their material goods as something they exclusively own. But they feel you have a right to their material goods. If you need them, you, you can take them. Because they, they and, 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 and so that's what these people were saying. By putting their coats on the road that day, they were saying, Jesus, we, we, will, we will give you our material goods. Whatever we have, and you need Jesus, you can have it. See, the problem with individualism that we, we're so in love with in, in the West, the problem with individualism and self-rule is that you have to create your own purpose. You have to create meaning in life. But when Jesus becomes king, you discover meaning. And it's much better to discover meaning. It's much more rational. It's much more rational to discover meaning than it is to create it. And we have, we're in a world right now, we're, we're in a time in, in, in America where we have gone extreme on telling people that they can discover their own meaning. They can discover their own purpose. They can create their own purpose. But coming to Christ is when I admit that I cannot create my own purpose, but I am excited to discover it. What is the challenge of this new kingdom? That's the last thing I want to talk to you about, is the challenge. As Christians... See, we, we must, friends, we must move. We must move beyond the idea that we're customers of Jesus. Or that we're customers at the church. 
Now, there, there's aspects of consumerism that are fine. You know, th- th- there, there are aspects of consumerism that, that I, I believe are, 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 are totally okay. And certainly, it, it, for instance, if I were, if I were to be uh, in, in your position, many of you that are here today, and you're, you're deciding where you're going to worship, sure, I'm going to look at that church, and I'm going to see if it has programs that, that serve my children. I, I, might even, I might even care if the, if the music um, uh, moved me. And, uh, and, and I, would, I, would, uh, I would care that the preaching was coherent and that the pastor's theology was right. I, I would care about those things. So I'm not totally opposed. I'm not saying all consumerism is evil or wrong or bad. But we've taken it too far. We've taken it too far. And today, when, 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 we, when we treat Jesus like a utilitarian object, and we treat Jesus just like, just like someone that we're coming to buy, to, to purchase a little peace, a little joy, a little this, a little that, a little material prosperity, a little health, uh, a, a, a little uh, good fortune. And so, so uh, prayer, is, prayer is like a, a vending machine. It's like... A, it's like we put in our, our, our dollars, our two dollars. Remember when it used to be a quarter? But we, we, put, we put in our two, three dollars into the machine, and then we see all the numbers. That, do they still have vending machines? I, yeah, okay. I haven't seen a vending machine in a while. But, and so, we, you know, we used to, you pull, and I think you push a button now, but you used to pull that thing, and the candy bar, you weren't able to fall down. And sometimes we so see Jesus, so we come into church, well, you know, I, I, think I'll, I think I'll have a payday. Uh, I think I'll ha- I think, you know, I think I'll have a Snickers. You know, and, and it, it is, what if we came and said, Jesus, what do you want? Jesus, what do you want from me? Jesus, how can I serve you? Jesus, how can I, how can I discover your purpose and be a part of it. As Christians, you're not a customer, but a, you're a related communicant of the Eucharist, the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. You can't get any further from being a commercial business customer relationship than that. Now, now if you just want to come through the drive-through for a, a Holy Spirit, venti, quad, almond milk, extra hot, no foam, caramel macchiato, you know, with an extra shot of espresso and some cinnamon sprinkled on top. Or simply a Jesus Happy Meal. You're missing the experience of entering into the joy of the Lord. You're missing, you're missing what this can be for you. Like I said in the beginning of the sermon, because I, 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 I asked the Lord, throughout the week, Lord, but I'm going to tell people that you come and you become king, and I can just hear them saying, but Phil, why is there so much suffering in the world? Why is there still pain? Why are there still so many problems? Why is the world in such chaos? If, if Jesus is king, and all week long, I, I never came up with the perfect answer for that, because it's, it's all that same problem, why do people suffer? I never came with a perfect answer. And I know there's the analogy that I gave a few weeks ago about V-Day and D-Day, about the invasion of Normandy happened. And it was like 
18 months later that Germany surrendered. So it, that's a part of the explanation. It's, got, it's all in God's time, but, but it's been a lot longer than 18 months. But you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't really get an answer. This morning, I, I made some breakfast and I got up and I, I had put the question out of my mind. And I really believe that God spoke to me because I wasn't thinking about it. And I was just walking from the dining room to the kitchen. And I wasn't thinking about that question. I was actually thinking about something else. I just read an article about something that wasn't related to the sermon at all. And I'm walking, and here's what I heard. There are two kings. I said it in the beginning of the sermon. There are only two kings in the earth. There's King Satan, the prince of the power of the air, and there is Jesus. And every person on earth has to make the decision as to which one of them's purpose they will serve. Now, I'm not suggesting anybody's going to say, well, I want to bow to Satan. And there's a few Satan worshipers out there, but that's not that's not that's never going to be framed that way in anybody's mind. But what you will do, you will either dedicate your life, knowingly or unknowingly, you will dedicate it to serve the purpose of the power of darkness, or you will, ser- you will yield to serve the purpose of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're coming down to this. We're coming down to this in the world right now. man's desire to be God and those who believe in God. That's what the choices are boiling down to right now in the world. The challenge of the new kingdom is to embrace the king and to live out his communal kingdom when most of the world was not. Most of the world was not in that parade that day. Most of the world was not welcoming his triumphal entry on the back of a donkey. It's right. You know, sometimes we have to be left out in order to do what's right. Sometimes it's painful. In in Germany, 5,000 pastors were associated with what we call the Confessing Church. That's the church that would not put the swastikas up in, in their auditoriums. 5,000 pastors were associated with the Confessing Church and their tiny congregations. So who, who knows? Maybe it was 20,000, 25,000. 17 million Lutherans stayed in the National Lutheran Church, which put up the swastika and honored Hitler. Knowing, knowing history, which side would you like to have been on? Well, we all know the answer to that. Today, I will make Jesus my king because he is king. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. I will make Jesus my king because I need to make him my king first. I will make him my king because I'm only a man and I'm fragile and I'm lost. 
I will make Jesus my king because you need me to make him my king. My children, my spouse, my grandchildren need you to make him king. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who led that confessing church, also said, we are responsible for the world we leave our children. Only by making Jesus king can I refine the resolve to bargain for a present, bargain the present for a better future. So today, that's my choice. How many of you, just show me by raising of hand, how many of you would follow me in making Jesus your king? God bless you. Thank you.